0: It was sort of a euphoric chaos, and just wrapped Rian in a little blanket and placed her on my chest, and I am envious of girls that I hear who are going to have a baby soon and to experience that amazing, powerful, unique, indescribable experience that is
1: giving birth to your baby. I welcome you to this episode of the Positive Birth Story podcast with me, Åsa Holstein. I'm a Swedish midwife, a healthcare entrepreneur, and also a very proud mother of three beautiful See My Big Children, that on a day-to-day basis reminds me of what really matters in life. I'm also an advocate of women's rights, and part of that is our right to have a secure and positive birth experience. Knowledge is power, and when it comes to birth, the knowledge about the process and your options will allow for you to make informed choices about your birth. My aim is that the stories in this podcast will help you with that, and also help you tap into the superpower that resides in all of us, and draw strings from that during birth. In this episode, you will hear Laura telling her story, and about her rather doing the same kind of empowering and positive birth, from start to finish, once every month than to be pregnant for nine full months. And about the enormous power that lies within using your voice as a tool during labor and birth. This is a podcast with women for women. Hi, Laura, and welcome to the Positive Birth Story podcast. Hi, Osa. Thanks for having me. You're going to share the birth of your daughter with us.
0: Yeah, Rian, I feel like I want to have this, if I'm envisaging anyone who is going to be listening to this is it, I'm going to think of her. So I'm saying this nearly for her to listen to at the end so that she could be maybe ultimately be empowered by this in the future and also so that I mind my language and, uh, yeah, keep it clean.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. We, she's here with us for yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: What were your views on childbirth
0: prior to becoming pregnant? I think they were positive mostly mostly positive really i mean besides <laughs> what society tells you about childbirth i come from a family of six kids my mom had six kids she was a midwife when she had her first three kids i i think my notion of having babies was that yes it's doable and it doesn't have to be the you don't have to be the biggest martyr and saint to have a baby and to be pregnant for 9 months How would you describe yourself as a person? Yeah, that's such a tricky one. Um, In three words. Yeah, in three words. (laughs) No, no. I mean, yeah, I guess I'm uh, everything from independent, pragmatic, optimistic, inwardly spiritual and ambitious, I suppose. Uh, Do you think that this personality of yours reflected on how you approached your childbirth preparation? I always say that. Even up to the moment of having the baby, I was kind of looking forward to the challenge of having a baby. And I said this to people and they laughed. And of course, it's, you know, haha, funny. But I genuinely was looking forward to the challenge of it. And seeing if I could do it was somehow not important, but of interest to me. So I suppose that ties into my maybe ambition and my drive and part of my personality that and also the pragmat my pragmatic side which was you know you prepare for something and then you go do it mm. um which is what i did in but in the ter- in pregnancy and birth terms you you don't have much choice you know your body does it for you really but you don't know that before you have a baby you kind of realize that sort of a little bit later. I know because you
1: told me beforehand that you read one of my favorite books in preparation for this birth. You read the Ina May Gaskin's Guide to Childbirth. Yes. Absolutely
0: loved that book. That was the most beautiful book. It it filled me with a sense of calm reading it. The book is split into different parts but the the first half of the book is essentially birth stories and it's safe to say that I've cried after almost every single story. And I'm not a particularly weepy, teary woman in general. I don't cry that much. (laughs) And I didn't even cry that much when I was pregnant. But the stories were not necessarily even just lovely and kumbaya, uh, lovely stories, but they were The the end result was that a baby came out and was ultimately healthy in the end. Did you enjoy being pregnant? No, not particularly. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I, I kind of said to a few of my friends, and I have been talking about pregnancy, and contrary to childbirth stories where people say, oh, you know, negative, 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 drama, 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 and then ultimately the baby was born and there was relief. Um, so that was the childbirth story that you hear, which is negative. And then you hear the pregnancy story, which is, oh, I love being pregnant. It's so nice. And there's fluffy clouds and love. And I just felt like being pregnant was fine. I was so lucky. There was no complications. I was comfortable. I was still cycling my bike up until the day before Rian was born. But, you know, I missed being able to have a drink with my friends or having a glass of wine when I'm having a nice meal at home or with friends. And I also realised that that was a lot of what my social life was about, you know, having that little glass of wine um, here and there. And I missed that. I really, really did. And the more people I opened up to about this agreed and sort of said, yeah, this is... <laughs> I also found that really hard, but it's it's hard for people to admit that, I suppose. I think I said this to you, that I would 100% prefer to have had one labour that was equivalent to the one that I had once a month for nine months than to be pregnant for nine months.
1: Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, and and I, I I thought about it when I said it to you and I was kind of joking, but then I thought... Do I mean it? Yeah, Yeah. it kind of is still true.
1: Can you recall where you were when you got the first sensations of labour starting?
0: Yeah, I was at home in our apartment a nice sunny day at the end of September. I went to the bathroom. We had a lie-in because it was just the day after rain was due. And I had like a mild discharge, but nothing out of the ordinary. But on top of that, I had very, very slight menstrual pain. Very, very slight. I mean, I didn't even know if I was reading into it or not. So that was to me a signal of maybe something's happening. I waited for about an hour and that didn't subside. So then we just decided we'd call the hospital to just alert them of the fact that maybe something's happening. I spoke to a really nice woman on the phone and she just said, oh yeah, it sounds like something might be starting But, you know, you could be at this for a while. So rest, put your feet up, watch Netflix, eat, you know, junk food, do whatever you like, maybe go for a little walk. And I just thought this is the nicest prescription for a day ever. Like (laughs) this is such a lovely, like a lovely idea. A day where all you should do is do whatever is relaxing and calm and lovely. So when did you realise that this was the real thing? Well, I knew it was getting more intense, definitely. It started off with mild pain and it just got a little bit more intense gradually. So that was kind of, for me, a signal that it was the real thing. And it sort of started at around 11am, to give it a timeline. And then by about 2, 2.30, I was kind of having a hard time lying down and I really you know, all the books say is just relax, rest as much as you can, because it could be a long, a long haul. By now, could you still talk through the contractions or were you more like? Um, yeah. God, yeah. I yeah, mean, you could. I, mm. I was so fine at that stage. Mm. I mean, mm. I was putting my out of office on my, on my email because I hadn't, I'm self-employed and I hadn't, that I was sort of sticking it out until at the very end and I was sending a long SMS to my colleagues who were working on site at a whiskey festival which we were building stands for user judgment if you need anything from me just make your decisions and you know you got this kind of type of text
1: this is what it's usually is like during this first phase of labor, the latent phase, For not for all women, of course, because nothing is true for everyone. But, yeah. but especially for the first time, you know, you give birth at the latent phase, it's kind of easy in the beginning. Yeah. And that's not the picture you have because you see the pictures from the movies and it's like... <laughs> you know, fight and flight mode <laughs> yeah. from the beginning. But yeah, the story is usually it grows on you gradually. It and you does. can still, you know, send the emails, you can cook the food, yeah. you, can, you can still talk. Yeah. So actually, both you and me could actually be in the latent phase now and do a yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, that that would be I mean,
0: I like a challenge myself. <laughs> and by now, how did you cope with these contractions when you started timing them? Because they were more intense by now. In my phone, I had a list of Notes that I had jotted down from the whole, all the books that I'd read. And in my notes, it was just a list of tools or tricks to to manage. And I didn't know what would work and what wouldn't and how I would feel at the time or if I'd be able to look at the list or not. Turns out I didn't even open my phone to look at them. But I knew there were, I, I knew, probably knew them all, all off by heart at that stage. But... I think I started with the body scan. So the idea is that you try and get into the feeling and just experience it as if you were watching as a bystander, but feeling it, because ultimately that's what it is. You're, you are only a passive bystander because your body is doing this and you have no control over it. So sort of going deep into the feeling and experiencing it and feeling it out, like watching a wave sort of build up and then curl over and then crash and sort of disappear. I think I had different different methods of keeping calm and it was everything from using certain words, like I would have constantly been willing myself to open. And that was something that I I had read in Ina May Gaskin's book about if you envisage your body opening then it will open <laughs> mm. and i really believe in the mind body connection and i think more and more people are today as well but and i i also firmly believe that it, obviously it's it's not going to just happen straight away it's it's a sort of something that will gradually gradually work and even just keeping your mouth relaxed and you're keeping your shoulders relaxed that then will ultimately keep the rest of your body relaxed and ultimately you want to dilate and open which is also a relaxation, I suppose, in itself. So I was just connecting my mind with my body, really, and realising that I just need to keep this calm and keep this control over my mind. And to this day, I realize I really don't know how else I would do it. What kind of support did your partner provide? Olaf was amazing. I mean, he kicked into action straight away when I told him that it was about to start when I took the decision that, yeah, we maybe need to call the hospital to let to let them know that we're getting started. He just kicked into action and got, you know, just got organized, sort of fixing things, making sure the the bags were packed, trying to feed me, trying to just to keep me going. Um yeah, he did remarkably well, remarkably well. <laughs> the height of our kind of conflicts was At one point, and I don't even really remember saying this to him, but I remember, or he told me afterwards that at one point I just kind of said, you have to stop telling me how great I am. Because I was just, he was kind of constantly going, you're doing great, baby. You're like amazing. This is, you know, everything's fine. You're doing really good. Like, breathe deeply and, you know, doing everything that he was supposed to say, taking all the boxes. And after a while, I was like, please, I know I'm fine. I'm really, really fine. I don't need to breathe. Like I was I felt so in control that I didn't need all of his really good support. But how is he supposed to know that? I mean, I obviously just needed to No no <laughs> that's why you to need him. to be communicative during yeah. birth.
1: Okay. <laughs> it's hard for the partner and there are no mind readers. And he's you So know, hard for the partner. And for some contractions you might need that reassurance, each and every contraction. And for some contractions it's the process. Yeah. You just want them to be quiet and shut up. Yeah. <laughs> just just be here. It's just fine. You can there. just be here. <laughs> So what made
0: you finally call and say, now? no, I want to come now? I think after a while it just, I was running out of tools at home, in ter- like tools in terms of things to use. I hadn't really been able to lie down or sit down for the whole day because it was just very uncomfortable to sit down or lie down. So you were moving around? Moving around, kneeling, sort of kneeling over armchairs. And I would also mention that Olaf, at one point, drew me a bath. He asked me if I wanted to have a bath. We have a a tiny, tiny bath in a tiny little bathroom. I got into the water and, I mean, it was a transformative experience. Not saying that it made my contractions less painful or less powerful, but they were different. And it gave me a relief from a certain type of pain or pressure and I mean again my bath is so tiny it's not like I could have stretched back and really lounged in the water you know the water came up to probably just above my belly button and so it wasn't as if. and my knees were kind of scrunched up but still it was such a powerful support but I would honestly recommend a bath or even a shower and just to there's something magic about water I don't know what it is but it was, yeah, it was magic. <laughs> so what happened when you arrived to the hospital? Yeah, well, we left the house at about eleven 11.30pm. P- so th- about 12 hours after I'd made the first call to the hospital, Olaf kind of said, listen, we should go to the hospital now because you're, you're getting tired, your pain is much higher... And I think, you know, I was sort of inward and focused and, you know, also experiencing pain, but, you know, in control and fine and calm and not panicking. And, you know, he could see that, but he had less control over me and the situation than he had done throughout the day. So he kind of decided or kind of a bit, put his foot down a little bit because he felt like he had done all that he could do and. Felt like he needed a bit of a, a support. So he called the hospital and said, Hey, you know, this is a situation and um, we're going to come into the hospital now. He called a cab, packed in all of our stuff, and we live on the third floor of our apartment and there's no lift in the apartment. So <laughs> the classic Swedish uh, stereotype of not wanting to meet your neighbors in the hallway <laughs> <laughs> was really, really sort of heightened by the fact that I was going into labor I was in labor on my staircase thinking please 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 do not come out right now and halfway down the stairs I had another contraction and I was just sort of holding onto the banisters thinking okay just stay in your apartments stay in your apartments uh finally got into the cab and I remember sitting in the taxi thinking I really really hope that I don't (laughs) I don't poo in this guy's cab that was I just felt the urgent need to do a number two. And we had a few, I had a few contractions on the way in, and the the lady who met us at the door realized that I was much further gone than she thought that I was. So brought into the room, the birth room, birthing room, and I remember thinking, oh, this is so nice. It was they had one little lamp on in the corner. It was a really soft soft lighting there were there was the midwife and a nurse and then they asked me if the student midwife could join and they sat me down in the bed so i was like the diligent student being asked to sit down you sit down and you don't question anything so i was sitting down and at this stage i hadn't been sitting down for 12 hours because it was so uncomfortable to sit down i would have been uncomfortable standing up but I was very uncomfortable sitting down and I was just being a good girl. (laughs) But they were just checking different things, taking information, wrapping two different belts around my waist, one which was a monitor for my heart and one which was... one was a monitor for the baby's heart. And she let me know then that I was 10 centimetres dilated. I was really surprised at that, but also pleasantly surprised because I thought, okay. I'm over the worst of it. And that was a big surprise to me. I thought that I had maybe another 12 hours left or 48 hours left. I didn't mm. know how much time I, I would have had left. So that was a huge relief. And I thought, oh, okay, well, A, that rules out any temptation that I might have had to have an epidural because I wasn't against the idea of having, having an epidural. I just didn't want to have... I didn't want to choose it um, but I was I was happy to go with it if I needed to but that ruled out that opportunity I also sat there thinking I can't have this baby sitting the way I'm sitting now so I I said can I do I have to sit on the bed like this or can I get up can I go somewhere else do you have anything else that I can use and (laughs) the poor midwife she was like Oh my God, I'm so sorry. We've like, y- you just came in so quickly and you were so, you're, you're so far gone. You're so dilated that, you know, normally we bring the woman into the room and we show her the different tools and we show her what's available and give her different options and lighting or, you know, does she want to have a bath? Does she want to have a shower? You know, just get her admitted. Um, but for me, I just didn't have that opportunity. I, they just didn't have the time. So <laughs> she quickly just showed me a few different things things like a one of those yoga balls I could use or like there were different seats and different implements or different kind of supports that I could have used. And I don't know how, but I just got my sights on this kind of Zimmer frame looking table. They support <laughs> you and you just have your elbows oh. on this tray and then your hands are, you can grab onto these two joysticks where you put your, hold your hands. And I think at about... 12.30 I stood up and grabbed onto this and I was there until 1.30 when Ryan was born and it was amazing. I mean I wish I'd had it at home <laughs> because it was just what I needed. It was exactly what I needed. I'd never planned or envisaged having the baby standing up but for me this was so right and so perfect for for what I needed and what my body needed. So I was standing up and just before I, I got up I said, I need to poo. (laughs) And the midwives kind of almost laughed and they said, no, 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 you don't need to poo. You need to push. So I thought, okay, well, (laughs) I'd also heard of a lot of friends who've had babies and they do poo. So I was kind of expecting to just kind of do both. And in the end, I, I didn't poo, which was also surprising or like I was, you know, mildly happy with myself because, you know, no one likes to poo in public. And I held on to that. And Olaf, my partner, was near and, you know, bringing me water and just kind of soothing me and keeping me. Yeah, just dabbing me with a a cold towel, or a wet cold towel. And I think at that stage I was ready to push or they, they said that I was ready to push. So I was pushing and the amniotic sac hadn't burst, but it was, I was birthing the amniotic sac. So it was sort of coming out like a, a loose water balloon that just hadn't burst. And it was just dangling between my legs. And the midwife said, do you want to touch it or do you want to look down? So I looked down between my legs and I just saw this thing just hanging there and it was kind of just a bloody yellowy water inside it. And I just knew that like once that bursts, then it's kind of go time or it's it's the next step. But they also were, the nurses and the, the midwife were really curious because there are some babies that are born inside the amniotic sac and it's pretty rare but it's it's very gentle way for the baby to be born oh. with
1: intact membranes. Yeah. Wow. Nice. So if possible it's a beautiful way for a baby to be born and then once yeah. <laughs> the baby is born you know the midwife or the mother or whoever is there to help will rupture the membranes yeah. and get the baby out from the amniotic sac.
0: But what I loved and this is again I what we spoke about spoke about earlier I loved that the midwife didn't even burst the membrane, even though it, you know, it might have helped just getting, speeding the process, but it didn't need to, to be sped up and it, there was no intervention necessary. So they were all just kind of sitting. I mean, I remember the nurse just sitting on the sofa, kind of leaning forward, watching, because there was nothing she could do at that stage. They were all just kind of sitting, sitting back waiting. And even that to me was, I mean, it just gave a sense of calm over the, the, what was happening. The sack eventually just burst of its own accord and there was just this big swoosh of water, sort of slimy water everywhere. And then the nurse and the the midwives just started clearing everything up and then it was the time to sort of control the pushing. And I just remember a few times the midwife saying, okay, push now. And so you pushed and I was focusing on my breathing and the the sounds that you make when you do your breathing. So a lot of going very low, going low in the sounds, which honestly was of huge help, like really almost sort of groaning sounds. Super powerful and very helpful. Super powerful. Yeah, it was, it was, it was was cool to, to experience it as well. But I thought from the outside, the sounds that I was making made it look like I was really in pain and suffering. Because they're the sounds you make when you're suffering. It's it also wasn't. Kind of the,
1: no, I know. Mm. And it's also kind of the sounds that... And they're not in pain, like a weightlifter.
0: Yes. They, they,
1: yeah, oh, exactly.
0: Know, you, like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's,
1: exactly. you know, it's, it's also how we interpret pain. What's, you yeah. know, how do
0: we interpret pain? What is pain? Exactly. And there's also power. sounds that help. Mm. Yeah, they're facilitating mm. what you need to do to just to, to, get, to get the baby out. And at the time it was it was so obvious to 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 use those sounds but i if i hadn't been told that these sounds were available or acceptable because you know in the american movies it's like yeah screams and really high pitched and and kind of tight sounds whereas this is like a, a almost a roar and it's an open sound, it's not a closed sound, and I think that was really good to know that this is the acceptable sound. It, it is really weird
1: to hear yourself. Yeah,
0: it is, yeah, and even
1: on ground like this because yeah. it's, it's an unfamiliar noise that we make exactly, and if you have given birth before, you know okay, this is now it's push time, yes. Yeah. Now this noise is coming but it for the first time it's like or for the second and third time also <laughs> it's like oh yeah. this is a weird noise yeah. and it
0: comes from me so that was really interesting as well to sort of know that i was still kind of present in the in the moment and then the the, the amniotic sac burst shortly afterwards i mean mo- minutes later the midwife said the head is crowning do you want to feel the baby's head? And I just thought this was the most sort of bringing me back to earth experience. And it was also groundbreaking, earth shattering experience as well to like feel my baby's head. And it had a lot of hair on it. And I was really surprised at that because I have red hair and, but I have thick hair. But when I felt how much hair the baby had, I just instantly imagined that the baby had a lot of thick, dark hair, which would have been very strange, but that was, it was amazing to feel the head. And then I had a few controlled or as controlled as possible pushes. And because I was standing up, well, I had to trust that the midwife was just going to catch the baby, but she had a big sort of almost like a beanbag, a big beanbag between my legs so that, you know, the baby wouldn't fall on the ground. And also that she could sit on, so that she could be in a kind of manageable position for to to be there for the ne- length of time needed. And, yeah, so the I think the head was... The head came out, and then, swoosh, the baby just... The rest of the baby's body, Rian, just slid out of me. I mean, <laughs> it was amazing how sort of slidey and sort of easy, it it almost felt. And she was crying instantly, very loudly crying. And she also pooed all over herself and everyone. So there was, you know, blood and poo and other fluids. It was sort of a euphoric chaos, for me anyway. And they just, they the staff, the nurse and the midwives, they just knew exactly what to do. They had already rolled over the bed close to me so that I just had to shimmy over and lie on it instead of having to walk the three meters back to where it was originally. And they just cleared up as much of the, the mess as possible and just wrapped Rian in a little blanket and placed her on my chest and... It was amazing, it was phenomenal and powerful and so much so that I am almost envious of girls that I hear who are going in to have their their baby and to experience that amazing, powerful, unique, indescribable experience that is giving birth to your baby. What
1: made this uh, experience such a powerful experience for you, you think?
0: Well, I was also, I mean, it, it has to be said that I was really, really lucky with the speed of my birth and the the uncomplicated nature of it. I was I'm so grateful for that. And I, you know, it needs to be acknowledged that not all births are like this, but, you know, a lot of births are like this as well. For me, I think it was I was very lucky in the sense that I reckon my the first phase of my labor was probably done in my sleep, so I wasn't just completely burnt out at at the point of um of the at the pushing stage. I would definitely put it down to my mental state I mean giving birth to a, uh, going through labor is such a passive it's a passive process which i i, I think i've only learned this now as the woman you there's not a lot you can do when you're going through labor until the very end and i didn't really realize this or i kind of probably did realize it towards the end but now it's i i just know that you just have to endure it and how you endure it is how you'll experience it And how you learn to ride those waves and manage each one, each one being slightly different in itself. And sometimes you get a tumble and you need to get back onto the wave again and deal with the next one coming. I feel like every single wave or contraction that I got, instead of thinking, like, when is this going to be over? Like, how many more contractions do I have? This contraction is one contraction closer to seeing my baby. So it's it's purely a different slant on the exact same thing, but it's just a much more positive way to, in the same way as if you're running a marathon, every step is a step closer instead of thinking how long more do we have to go? And to me, that was really, really, a really helpful tool to get through it. I love that, yeah. because it also helps you stay in the present, and it
1: is mm. uh, it's, like you said, it's a mind-body thing, and it's very much, uh, when
0: you give birth, it's a mind-of-a-matter thing. So, <laughs> Did
1: you know that you had this superpower
0: within you? No, I mean, God, i i I knew I was able to have a baby, or I was probably going to be able to pull it off, but I also had a lot of, you know, big role models. You know, my mom is a mother of six children and is, uh, you know, super, superwoman in in so many respects.
1: Has giving birth in this positive way
0: changed the way you look upon yourself and your abilities, you think? Yes and no. I mean, I think having a baby has changed my perspective on life in many ways. The birth part, I mean, I feel like I've had this really, really unique experience that... Not all women get to experience and men don't get to experience. And I'm really grateful that I got that experience. I, I suppose I feel a little bit special because I was given this privilege too. And then, you know, when you carry your baby around in your arms, that makes you feel special as well. I mean, it's a really humbling, gorgeous warm fuzzy feeling that it's just indescribable and I was also lucky to have that experience because not all women or men experience that when their babies are born that they get this lovely warm fuzzy feeling and that's also natural and normal that that you don't but I got it like smack in the face strong and it was I haven't tried many drugs but uh, (laughs) it was like a really amazing love drug. When you think back at you labor and birth what pops up first in your mind I honestly think and this sounds kind of crazy it was a really sunny day uh, at the end of September <laughs> and it, I just kind of it's kind of a warmth that I feel when I think about it and I don't think about the I don't think about the pain there was pain definitely um I don't think about the pain. I think about, it was exciting and it was full of anticipation. It was, I guess, just powerful, primal, in some ways, female experience. So is there a myth about childbirth that you like to kill in this podcast? Feel free to do it. (laughs) I can only speak for myself, but it's definitely... It definitely was not the most painful thing I've ever experienced, childbirth. I mean, I've heard this so many times and I've, I've read it and I've, I've heard it in chat shows and things that, you know, it's pain, childbirth is the most painful experience. I've stubbed my toe and had more, experienced more pain on that than in childbirth. It's an endurance kind of pain, but it's not, it, it's, it's a, a marathon of waves of pain you know get mentally prepared beforehand and just roll with it roll with it thank you so much for coming here to share your story thank you yeah thank you too it was so nice to have the opportunity to to put it in words and give it out to my little girl rian for when she's a little bit older i love that i'm (laughs) passing it forward to other women preparing for birth. it's
1: uh, very valuable thank you yeah thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Positive Birth Story podcast with me, Swedish midwife Wasser Holstein. And thank you, dear Laura, for being so frank and open about not loving pregnancy and about it sometimes being hard to change the way we're used to live. For example, give up a glass of wine. I think it's so important to be able to share all thoughts and feelings that arise during pregnancy. If we don't, we risk feeling very lonely believing that everyone else has the rosiest and most happy time in the months leading up to baby being born. Let's tell it like it is. And when it comes to alcohol during a pregnancy, no one knows the exact amount that is dangerous for the baby, or the exact time, hour, minute, second, that it's most harmful. We just know that it can be really bad for baby's brain and development. Most probably, one glass of wine won't hurt, but we really don't know. Therefore my strongest recommendation as a midwife is zero alcohol during pregnancy to keep baby safe and to allow for it to be in the best possible environment ever. If you experience it being hard to quit, there is great help out there. If you want to read more about me and this mission of mine, go to the Podcast.com. To be sure that you don't miss an episode, do subscribe. And I'm very happy that the Positive Birth Story podcast is now one of the contributors to Girls' Globe a media organization that amplifies voices of women and girls worldwide and inspires people to take action on issues related to human rights, social justice, and gender equality. So do check out Girls Globe at girlsglobe.org and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I thank you from the depths of my uterus, and I hope you will come back for more episodes. Bye for now.